Hey everybody, it's Pastor Mike, and I want to say thank you for joining us today at LifePoint Church. We believe Sundays are an opportunity for you to know God. We also believe small groups, the best thing we do, are your opportunity to find freedom. For more information, including locations, service times, which small groups to participate in, please visit our website at lifepointchurch.tv. My prayer for you as you listen to our message today is to encourage you and to help you take your next step to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Let's jump right into the message. Hey, turn with me in your Bible to Philippians chapter two. We're in our fifth week of our Philippians series. We're at the halfway point. It's a 10 week series. And I'm actually gonna take a break starting next week, uh, doing a little summer stuff. It's walking through some of the values of our church and do some unique teaching. Uh, but we're, we're at the halfway point today of our Philippians series. It's a four chapter letter and we're doing 10 weeks in this series. But we are seeing this overarching theme of joy throughout this letter. And it seems odd that joy would be the theme or rejoicing or find joy in serving the Lord, especially because the author of this letter, the Apostle Paul, is writing from a Roman prison in a dungeon, essentially. He's chained to a wall. He's been there for an extended period of time. He's writing to a network of churches that he planted and pastored in a town called Philippi, which is part of what we know now as southern Greece on the northern shore of the Mediterranean. And he writes this letter from prison, having been held as a political prisoner, religious prisoner. He'd been severely beaten. He'd been severely persecuted. And now from a prison cell, he finds the joy and the excitement to write full of passion for the churches that he's pastored. In fact, he wrote uh, four, at least uh, that we know of, four letters to church groups that he had planted, these multi-site churches. By the way, you know, in Clarksville, for us to have multiple locations, it's just being New Testament church. I mean, they all were multi-site churches in the New Testament. And Paul, their pastor, wasn't even on a stage preaching. He was in prison, y'all. So y'all just know, like, it could get rowdy. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I had to write you letters, I would do it. Anyway, he's full of joy and passion and conviction uh, for the churches to serve God well and to serve the Lord with, with joy and a privilege. And so I've titled the message today as we're in the middle of Philippians 2, we want to live for Christ in awe of God. I think we've thrown away the word awesome to just dumb stuff now. We just call everything awesome. We need to be careful about that because really the most awesome one ever is the Lord and what he's done for us is awesome. Like it should inspire awe and wonder and majesty in your eyes when you think of all the Lord has done and when you give your life to serving him. But we say everything's awesome. Like, you know, you see a video online, you're like, well, that's awesome. You make it through a red light without it turning red, right as it's yellow. You're like, praise God, that's awesome. Not everything is awesome like the Lord is awesome. Y'all hear what I'm saying, everybody? And so I want us to live our lives for Jesus with awe. Honestly, it's, if, if I could preach a message to, for the rest of my life, it's go all in with Jesus Christ and do it because you love him fully and deeply. I, my favorite verse of scripture is out of this letter where Paul in prison writes, whatever happens, live in a way that honors the gospel. And here we are in the middle of chapter two and we're gonna see the apostle Paul challenging us, live all in for Jesus and do it out of reverence and awe and wonder for God. At the end of our time together, we're gonna take time to share at the Lord's table in communion. So hopefully you have what you need for communion if not, our ushers will bring it to you at the end of the service. Let me just ask you this question. When's the last time you just paused and remembered when you gave your life to Jesus? Some of you grew up in church and like you don't ever remember a time away from the Lord. When's the last time you thought about how great and a privilege that was in spite of the type of church and the, the stories of your church life, like that you grew up in the family of God? I think that's amazing. But how many of you like remember the night you gave your life to Jesus and the day or the altar call or the, the camp experience 
I've shared some of the details before, but not a lot. But, but some of you know that I became a Christian on Halloween of my senior year. I call it the Lord's Day. It was at a church event called Judgment House. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know the, like when the, I was invited by a cute girl. That was my motivation. She said, do you want to come? I was like, yes, I do. Where are we going? You know, and simple 17 year old motivation. I was invited to an event called Judgment House and it was a church play put on that basically it shared the story of two boys that were best friends and one of them gave their life to Jesus and the other one kind of said, I, I did that growing up, you know, and he mocked him for it. And then they die tragically and they face the judgment of God. And and what I remember about that night was that the play told the audience the reality of God's love for all people. The truth that, that Christ died for everyone and in place of everyone and for the sins of everyone. And, and it, it made this invitation that we have a responsibility to respond to the gospel of Jesus with belief and full devotion. They also told us the reality that night that there is a judgment from God. There's a judgment seat. That's why the name of it was called the judgment house. And, and everybody will stand before judgment one day. That was the piece that I believed in but wasn't ready for. In Hebrews chapter nine, the writer of Hebrews says it like this, verse 27 and 28, he says, it's appointed for every person to die and then every person face God's judgment. The next verse says, Christ has been offered to bear our sins. I love that this kind of daunting reality in Hebrews says, like everyone's gonna die and go face judgment. Then the very next verse says, but Christ paid for it. Jesus bore the sins of everyone. He offered himself to bear your sins for that judgment. And it says that he will appear a second time to save and rescue and to bring with him all of those who are eagerly waiting for him. I just remember that night, I wasn't fearful of that judgment. I was made aware of what an incredible offer this was, of what an incredible gift this was. In fact, I'll never forget that night, Halloween of 97, I was made so aware of God's deep love for me. I was captivated by it. I couldn't believe that God loved me so much. I'll, I'll never forget the scene of the judgment scene. And then they read through everyone's name in the group that's going through that part of the play. And I just remember when they read my name, I just felt like God himself was saying, I did this for you, Mike. I was so captivated by God's love for me. I was moved to emotion. I was deeply convicted of the truth of this gospel. Like I had believed in Jesus, but I wasn't convicted about it. I wasn't moved to follow Christ. I believed in Jesus, but didn't live for Jesus. Y'all hear what I'm saying, everybody? And then I was convinced that he died for me and that he offered to rescue me from God's judgment, God's wrath, and that he invites me to accept his gift of sacrifice for my sin. And I was so moved by the thought that I would spend eternity with God one day. Man, that night, I, I was all in. I wasn't nervous or scared. I was so thankful. I remember when they gave the invitation, does anybody? I was like, yes, me, I can't wait. And it wasn't like, oh my God, if I don't do this, I'm gonna burn in hell. It wasn't that at all. It was, I can't believe, yes, I'm in, I'm committed. And I just remember that night, I committed my whole life to God. I just never forget that prayer that night. I was like, God, yes, whatever you want. I committed to follow Jesus. I said, I'll give my life to your church. I, did, I never, I didn't know church life. I didn't know the Bible. Are you kidding me? I knew like four verses and they were the like dagger verses, you know, like the ones you throw at people. I didn't know anything. I just knew I was overwhelmed with what God had done for me. And I said, God, I'll, I'll give you my whole life. And by the way, I'm still committed to that. I've re-upped myself a lot. Over 25 years, I've re-enlisted a lot. In fact, just yesterday morning, sitting on my deck 
with the Bible and in prayer. I put my hand in my, my, my head in my hands and I just reminded the Lord again, I was like, God, I'm still all in with you. Whatever you want of me, whatever you want from me, I'll do whatever, I'll go wherever, I work for you, I'll live for you, I'm all in with you. I didn't respond to Judgment House. And I've joked over the years, you know, when I, when I tell Christians, especially I got saved at Judgment House, I'll joke and I'll say, they scared hell right out of me, you know. <laughs> but that's not actually true. That's not what happened. I wasn't afraid of going to hell before because I didn't know any better. I was moved with just, I couldn't believe God offers this to me. The truth is I was a pretty bad person and, and I just was so moved that God offered this to me. I couldn't believe it. I just remember responding in thanks and conviction and reverence and gratefulness to God. I went home that night and I just couldn't sleep. I was like, wow, I'm different. God's done something in me. And I just wanna, I, I wanna ask you, like, do you live with a, an awe of God or a fear of God? And I think I've titled the message, you know, live in Christ, living for Christ in awe of God. That is, man, we wanna live full on for him because we are in awe of him because we love him deeply, we respect and admire him. I think we have the opportunity to live Christianity in one of two ways, and many of us have experienced one or the other of these. I think some of us, we live our lives out of fear and concern that God is this holy God and we're this, holy un, this unholy person and we're afraid that we'll never please God and we're never good enough and, and there's this judgment looming over us. If you ever do anything bad or you say something wrong or you die sinning, that we have this deep concern that we have to live a perfect life with no mistakes and it's super heavy and God, this gray-haired old man's got a lightning bolt just ready to zap us at any time. That's religion, that's fear. Or we can live this life with awe and amazement and wonder and deep conviction and I can't believe I get to live for God. I, are you kidding me? I get to tithe? Are you kidding me? I get to go to church today? Are you joking me? I get to say no to sin? The things that I feel and the things I've born with or raised with, I get to lay that down at the cross of Jesus and I get to pick up holiness because he has said I'm holy. Are you kidding me? I can't believe that I get to live for God who's so good and so holy and he's invited me in, not as a slave, but as a son. Are you kidding me? I get to live for Jesus. I think one way is live for God with fear and trembling. The other is live for God with reverence and excitement and deep devotion. I don't know which sounds more appealing to you, but I'm going to go with the second one. We can live this life for God with love for God and deep conviction of God. And, and we can say yes to holiness and no to sin because we just, we revere him. I think it's the difference between living for God out of religion and living for God out of relationship with God. And I want the rest of our time today to challenge us to make sure that we've got that second perspective. Man, I want to, I just want to live well for God because I love him so much. Think about it like when you were dating somebody new for the first time. You remember them days? Some of y'all got so many years behind you. are like, I said I loved you back then, didn't I, girl? You know, like... You remember when, I just never forget when I saw Stephanie for the first time. I didn't see any other girls the same anymore after that. I remember when I was pursuing her, I couldn't wait to be around her. Like the way I treated her and the way I treated others was because of my affection for her. Even to this day, we celebrate 21 years of marriage this month. I'm so excited for her. She made it. Proud of that girl, man. She survived. And I still want to live in a way that blesses and honors her because I love her, not because I'm afraid of her. I don't make decisions 
I don't know why that's funny. Should I be? <laughs> Y'all are looking at me like you don't know or like we know, you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. I don't, I don't live because I'm afraid I'm going to lose her or she's going to leave me. I want to live in a way that shows that I just, I'm devoted to her. And how much more should we live from a posture of salvation, not from a desperation to earn or keep our salvation? I am gloriously saved, and so I live. You hear what I'm saying, everybody? I haven't even started into the text yet, but I'm just so fired up for this message. So, so Paul's teaching us in Philippians 2. Remember last week he said, if you're encouraged in Christ, if you're full of the Spirit, if you have sympathy with one another, like, be united, do nothing out of selfishness. And he said, God has exalted Christ to have the name that's above every name so that every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And then in verse 12, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. I love this Paul writing from prison to these church group and he's so encouraging. This is like such good news. As you've always obeyed. So now, not only as in when I'm present with you, but also more in my absence, watch this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, many of us have misheard this text. You, it, we've heard it like this, work for your salvation and be very afraid. Anybody ever heard some turn or burn kind of preaching? I believe like turn your life to Jesus or, or be far from God forever. But that's not our motivation. I'm not serving God to stay out of hell. I want to serve God because I love Jesus. Amen. Listen, th this is not work for your salvation. He's saying work it out. Like work it out, live it out. Work, work from a place of salvation. Let me just unpack the text for you real quick. First of all, Paul is such a good pastor. I just love his affirmation. He's not a heavy-handed pastor. I know sometimes, like when I get passionate, my shoulders come up and my eyebrows get intense and y'all think I'm mad, but I'm like really like, oh, I'm really on fire, right? Stephanie's always like, smile more. <laughs> Paul's such a good pastor. He starts this section by bragging on him. He said, look, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, he's just saying, guys, you've gotten this right. Listen, I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church where the pastor felt like he was just always knocking you down and pushing you down. Let me just try to be modeled after Paul. I want to be an encouragement. Life one, I'm so proud of you. You guys are really a great church. Like, I feel like I'm always pushing you towards Jesus and you're always responding. You're doing great things. You're growing, you're giving, you're generous. You, you've raised nine million, eight million, whatever dollars so far on a building. You're just doing great stuff. Thank you for being a great church to pastor. I love you so much, man. You're a great church. So he starts with that encouragement. And then he switches gears to a pastor's challenge. And I get this pastoral challenge. He goes, so now, not only as I'm present with you, I think I shared with you last week how like, I'm just a fun killer. I get it sometimes as pastor. Like nobody wants to play Twister with me. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody's, pastor, come on, let's pray. It's awkward. That joke made more sense in my head. <laughs> like they like me at the wedding, but not the reception. Y'all hear what I'm saying? So Paul's like, hey, let's just delete that Twister joke. Anyway. So he says, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as like when I'm with you guys, but even much more in my absence. This is Paul going, you guys have done this right now that I'm not around. And you gotta remember where Paul was. He's in prison thinking, I'm probably gonna die here. So I'm never coming back to Philippi. And Paul's going, you don't need me for this next thing I'm gonna tell you. As much as you've already done this and now so much more in my absence, watch this. Work out your own salvation. He's not saying be an individualist, keep your faith private. He's saying, walk this out, like live in the fruit of the God who saved you and do it with fear and trembling. Now, 
That doesn't mean be afraid, be afraid of hell. In fact, don't fear that God's mad at you or be afraid of God. The, the, the word in the original language is the same word for work it out, walk it out with awe and reverence and deep admiration, respect and devotion to God. Like live from a place of I love God so much. Let me give it to you from a different version here that makes, makes it sound a little different. New Living Translation says it like this. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Does that sound a little better? Like, like work hard to live this out. Work it out. Show like, hey man, I'm saved. I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. Why do you make those decisions? Because I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower. Why do you act this way? Because I'm a Christ follower. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and deep fear or awe because God is awesome. This is the way I want each of you to live for God and to love God. Out of respect and love and reverence for God. Live out loud for Jesus. Listen to me, church. I want you to be so proud to be a Christian. More than pride in anything else in this world. I want you to be so proud to be a Jesus follower, to be a person full of the Holy Spirit, to be committed to the word of God and devoted to Jesus. So committed to your passion for God. He says, work hard to show that you are saved. Not to prove that you're saved, not to earn your salvation, but work hard to live out your salvation. Have you ever... Have you ever met people in a profession that you're a part of that just don't care about the company? They don't care about the work. They don't, and, and they'll, they'll walk around in uniform but act outside of the uniform. I, I love being in an army town and one of the things I've learned, I've learned a ton about you know, military guys. I don't know obviously all that you do and, um, uh, but one of the things I've learned to really respect is just kind of the ethic of wearing the uniform. And one of the ways that people disgrace that the most is called stolen valor. You guys have heard of this, right? And it's when people who've never earned the uniform or shouldn't wear the uniform walk around in the uniform with all the ranks and insignia. And, and man, if you ever want to get in a wormhole of crazy, go on YouTube and <laughs> Google stolen valor videos. They're just, it's like one click after the other and you just get all anxious and angry. But then you meet people who honor the uniform and wear it well and present what it's about the right way. And that's what, that's what Paul's telling us here. You don't wear it as a faker. You don't wear it to try to be something you're not. You wear Christ. You live for Christ from a place of, man, I am so thankful and honored and I deeply respect the Lord enough and I choose to live in response to his goodness to me. Does that make sense, everybody? That's how we live for Jesus. I, I, I wanna tell you, this is how I think about this. Like, I am 100% not afraid of God. Now, let me caveat that. I am clear that God is other than me. We are not homeboys. He's not my peer. He is not my equal. He is God forever. That whole Jesus is my homeboy kind of thing. I don't want to get casual with who God is. He is other, that God is dope vibe. Listen, okay, fine. I get what you're trying to say, but he is not my bro. He's my father in heaven. He's the creator of the universe. He's spoken into existence. He can snap it out in a moment. But listen to me, but I'm not afraid of him. I fear him. I know his power is grand and vast and miraculous, but I'm not, I'm not living in fear of this just bolt of lightning from God and this, he's gonna send me to hell. You know why? Because I'm a son, because I know him. 
because I'm in relationship with him and I'm confident that I've been gloriously saved, not by my works, but by his, and that I've received that work by faith and I'm living in response. Listen, I am not afraid of God, but I will tell you, I'm very afraid of doing anything that would violate him, disappoint him, or live outside of a way that honors him. Not because I'm scared of his judgment or going to hell, because I love him so much that I don't want to disappoint the Lord. That's how we live out this salvation with fear and trembling. It's awe and reverence and God, I love you so much, I don't wanna let you down. And here's what I know, I'm gonna let him down. I'm a flawed human, I make mistakes, I say stupid twister jokes in a sermon. And I'm quick to repent. And I'm quick to go to the Lord and say, God, I blew it. And I'm quick to tell those that I've hurt and offended because I was in the flesh and being stupid. I was wrong and I'm sorry. And it's not just because I'm trying to appease people. It's because I deeply love God. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying, everybody? That's how we live out loud for Jesus. That's how we want to live to please him because we love him. I'll lay down any predisposition. I'll lay down any feelings. I'll lay down any ambition I have. I'll lay down any challenges I have because I want to please God. It's the desire of my heart. And that's what Paul's saying here. Work it out. You don't need your pastor around you to do this. Whether I'm with you or not, work out your own salvation with reverence and fear and love for God. Walk it out and work it out because you love him and you deeply admire him and you revere him and you're so thankful for what God has done for you. No one else can live out our salvation for us. No one else can read our Bibles for us. No one else can spend time in prayer for us. No one can also force you to be devoted. That's for you to decide, I'm gonna live this out for the rest of my life. And watch this. Now, when I say that, some of you are like, I gotta get, okay, I gotta get my act together. I gotta change some things. I gotta tighten up the old bootstraps. Watch the very next verse, verse 13. Here's the encouragement of it all. Watch, oh, this is so great. He says, whether I'm with you or not, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works this in you. It's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let me just remind you, if you wanna live for God, God wants to help you live for God. Like you're not doing this in your own strength. This is the power of the, of the God we serve. This is what's so amazing. If you say, Lord, I wanna live for you, God goes, I'll help you. Listen, it's God the Father who loves you. It's God the Son who saves you, but it's God the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you and working in you to help you live in a way that pleases the God that you love that you wanna serve. Man, I'm gonna amen my own self. Cause that's encouraging. Cause it's very easy to go, I don't live good enough for God. I'm not good enough. I gotta fix me. No, no, no. You need to surrender you to Jesus. You need to surrender you to the Holy Spirit and say, God, I wanna live for you, help me. And he goes, I'll help you. Cause it's God doing this work. And isn't that crazy how good God is? He says, I love you when you're a sinner. I'll save you when you can't save yourself. Then I'll fill you in a way that you can live for me. Ha 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 ha. What point do you have to play? The only part you have to play is surrender, devotion, whatever you say, God, I'm in. My, my, my. I feel like I need an organist. I'm about to run and shout and Jericho march this whole stinking room. Do you understand the goodness of our God? Do you understand how good he is? Do you understand how great our God is? How dare we make it a religion? How dare we make it rules? Are you joking? Our God is so good. Oh, he's so good that he looks at us in our filth. The Bible says while we were, I'm not even on my notes, while we were sinners, 
Christ died for us. That's what I remember on Halloween of my senior year. And you know what I told the Lord? I was like, God, whatever, you, I've told him so many times, whatever you want from me, God, however you want me to live. And I feel like the Lord takes that attitude and goes, here's more of my spirit. Here's more of my power to help you do it. Let me tell you something. When I'm weak, he's strong, man. When I'm out of power, when I'm depleted, when I'm far, when I'm feeling adrift and I'm just trying to work my way to God, God's like, you're doing it the wrong way, bro. You don't work your way to me, I work my way to you. God doesn't call me bro, he calls me son. Man, what a good God. It's God who works in you. It's God who does it, it's God, it's all about him. How awesome is our God? How great is our God? He expects everyone to bow their knee to Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And then he goes, and I'm gonna help you do it. Because you can't do it in your own strength. That's religion. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Hey, where that's tested sometimes is when we refuse to say no to sin. It's when we refuse to believe contrary to scripture. It's, it's when we can continue to go, well, God, this is what I feel. Let him change your feelings. Are your feelings submitted to him? I've always been this way, God. Well, it's time to be born again. And by the way, I've been saved for 25 years. And I feel like I've been born again about a thousand times. <laughs> I'm for real. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time. Have you ever noticed like the stuff he sets you free from today, like you think, oh, that'll never change. I've been like this my whole life. I was raised in that kind of family. I'm from this part of the country and that's what we believe. And then the Lord just like sets you free from it. Then all of a sudden God goes, and now let me work on this. I'm like, can we go back? That was a lot easier <laughs> than this. Okay. We are invited to a bold life with Jesus. I mean, we're invited into a bold life and, and listen, we get to live this way. Don't fake it. Like walk it out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Watch this verse 14. He says, as you've always obeyed in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trouble. It, trembling is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. And then he says, do all things. Everybody say all things. Everybody say everything. Put a little sauce on it. Say everything. Some of you, some of you white people didn't know what I just said. Right yeah. What do you say, Margaret? That's that New Orleans Cajun coming out of everything. Watch this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Just gonna let that sit there for a second. Remember last thing? Yeah, last week we saw him say, "Do everything. Do nothing." out of selfish ambition or vanity. Shut up, Paul. I got my face. And now he says, do everything without grumbling or disputing. Another version says, or complaining. Let me say it for you in a way that makes sense. Do everything without being negative. Do everything without gossiping. Do everything without retweeting what you're angry about. Do everything without causing drama and disputes. I don't like that. I'm a third born. We're dramatic. I'm a good talker. I can say stuff the way that makes sense and gets people fired up. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Last week, chapter two, verse 
three, and do everything without being a complainer, disputing or grumbling. Anybody like to grumble? I mean, don't it just feel good to grumble? You bunch of liars. Come on now. <laughs> what happens when you're in a negative headspace? What do you do? Look for other negative people, right? You go tell somebody you're grumbling, complaining. Well, let me tell you, man, how you doing? Well, let me tell you how I'm doing. And then what happens is you, you bother everybody else until you find another negative person. And they're like, girl, tell me about it. Yeah, that's right. You know, and then grumble, grumble, grumble. Can I tell you two negatives don't make a positive. Two negative grumblers make uh, twice as many grumblers and makes five people not like being around you. But watch why. Watch why. You ready? Do everything without grumbling and disputing so that you may be blameless, innocent, children of God without blemish. Hey, we shouldn't be the ones because we know how awesome our God is. We shouldn't be the ones stirring up dissension, gossip, grumbling, complaints in this world. You go, well, do you know what's happening in the world? Are you watching what's happening on TikTok? Well, then quit watching it. Yeah, our world's twisted and jacked up. Watch what Paul says. Do it without grumbling, complaining, so that you may be blameless, innocent children of God without, bl- without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted world. What? You mean I'm supposed, I mean, I know so many Christians that are like, Jesus, please come back and zap us out of here any day now. No, no, no. Hey, we're supposed to be in the midst of this. We're supposed to live in the midst of political turmoil, social turmoil, craziness, crooked and twistedness. Can I tell you the world's always been crooked and twisted since Genesis three. Paul says, do nothing from selfishness and vanity. Do everything without being a negative, grumpy, grumbler, complainer, gossip face. Why? There's a reason, not just because the Bible says to be a good, religious, upstanding person. No, because we're to live blameless, innocent in a crooked and messed up world. As dark as our world needs, the brightness of the church needs to shine brighter. You can't get upset that lost people do lost things and don't start grumbling, complaining and reposting about it. You're to be blameless in the middle of that stuff. We're to be non-blemished in the midst of all the negativity and craziness of our world. We're to set a different standard. We live different because we live in awe of God. Watch what he says. He goes, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, crooked and twisted generation. Watch this. Among whom you shine. You know what the church should be doing right now? Shining bright. Being full, building buildings, preaching the gospel, unashamed, worshiping loudly. We should be shining as bright as can be. When our world gets dark, the church should be on fire. Can I tell you, we're on the the verge of grand revival. If the church would just understand her role, we are to shine bright in this crooked generation. Look at this. Shine as lights in the world, holding fast to our opinions, to our political persuasions, to our past. To our part of the country, I'm a West Coaster, I'm from the South. No, we hold fast to the word of life. Why am I dancing up here so much? <laughs> Holding fast to the word of life so that, Paul says, in the day of Christ, I, your pastor, will be so proud of you that I didn't preach, pastor, run, and labor in vain over you. Can I tell you something? As your pastor, I don't need you guys getting in the fire. The only pro, listen, your greatest protest is not a picket sign. Your greatest protest is your life on fire for Jesus. Your greatest protest is not passive aggressive retweeting and posting of all your latest stuff. Your greatest protest is I am so in awe and reverence and love for Jesus. This world doesn't even faze me. What are you afraid of? 
You're gloriously saved going to heaven. What does this world have to do to you? Nothing. Well, did you see the latest thing that happened? Did you know Jesus died for the sins of all those people that were damning and condemning? They're lost and far from God and they need Jesus. And the only hope they need is a bright, shining church, not a disgruntled, grumpy, gossipy, divided church. Paul, do nothing out of selfishness or vanity. Do everything without grumbling or disputing. Be blameless, innocent. And by the way, it's God in you helping us do this. Are y'all getting anything out of this sermon? I feel like me and four people are up here excited about this sermon. Can I just, let me give you some history. Every generation has been twisted and perverted. People go, we are living in the worst of days. Uh, fifth century Europe? <laughs> Seventh century Europe? Middle East in the 1200s? I mean, Genesis 3 until Christ returns is crooked and twisted generation. Hey, let me tell you something. The days that Jesus entered into the world were way worse than the days that we're living in. They didn't even have air conditioner or Netflix. <laughs> or Pure Flix for all you Christians out there. It's always been twisted and perverted. It's true for Paul's day, it's true for our day. Our world is broken and messed up. And here's the thing, when the world gets darker, the church shines brighter. And when the church compromises and acquiesces to the darkness of culture, the church loses its light loses its anointing, we lose our power and effectiveness. But if we will decide, I'm not gonna grumble, complain, gossip, I'm not gonna throw shade on those that need the gospel, I'm gonna decide to live in awe and reverence. I love Jesus so much, I can't stand myself. In a godless world, you shine as bright as the sun. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they post it on a stand so that it gives its light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God the Father. Your life does not belong to you. It belongs to Jesus, which means it belongs to this crazy, twisted world. We are the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. Go all in with Jesus. A dark world needs a bright church. We choose joy when our world is screwed up. And we choose that way so that they may see the gospel we purport and believe. Notice Paul says, hold fast to the word of life. That's the word of God. It's Jesus in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. It's like a wild ride in the dark. Kings Island is an amusement park near Cincinnati. My wife grew up in southern part of Dayton, Ohio. And, and so it's a, it's a fun place. We've gone a lot of times. And they have a bunch of great roller coasters. And they have one roller coaster called the Flight of Fear. Now, I, I love roller coasters. Any roller coaster folks, fans out here? Yeah. Uh, my wife, she's like, I get nauseous and sick. She doesn't like them. And I'm also, I'm like too big for the carts. Not everybody understands, but you got to like try a roller coaster on before you get in it. You know what I'm saying? And so anyway, I love roller coasters. I think they're fun. This one, uh, it's, it's called the Flight of Fear. It's a one minute ride and it goes zero to 55 in four seconds. They don't just like click you up the hill and drop you. It's like jumped right out of the gate and you're gone. 54 miles an hour in four seconds. It has four flips, barrel rolls, all that kind of stuff. And, and it's a fun ride. The theme is like alien invasion and all that kind of stuff. And it's 100% in pitch black darkness. Yeah, some people are out on that one, right? No lights at all the entire ride. It's scary enough for the speed and the loops and all that kind of stuff, but it's in the dark. Like, okay, I'm a big dude. I'm a hands up kind of guy. Not in that ride. I ain't getting decapitated. I'm not losing a hand. I don't know because I can't see. 
But as you get in the car, it says, keep all hands and feet and personal items inside the car at all times. And then they strap you in. And the ride is enjoyable and fun and survivable because you're held tight in darkness. In the same way, when you and I are holding fast to Jesus and his word, when we're buckled into the word of God and his church, come on, stay in the church. When we're tight with the spirit of God, when we're so devoted to Jesus, our living head, and we live out of reverence and fear, no matter how dark and how fast our world may seem to be going, we're holding fast to Jesus and his word. And in the midst of darkness, we're safe and we're found with Christ. And it, it allows us to be a huge difference maker. You know, the last time we went there, I took one of my daughters, Hallie, my third oldest, loves coasters. She's 11. And she just like, that whole dark room thing just freaked her out. But dad's sitting next to her with my hand on her knees going, it's fun, ah, it's fun, ah, you're doing great, ah. And I know that she's safe and she knows she's safe next to her dad, buckled in, holding fast. That's life out loud for Jesus when our world's going super dark and super fast. Our hope's not in politics. Our hope's not in the economy. Our hope's not in social issues turning our direction. Our hope is in Jesus. And we hold tight to that. Finally, it's the life devoted that's totally worth it. Paul is writing this like, whether I'm with you or not, live, work it out, live it out with awe and reverence for God. Do it without being negative. And then he says, verse 17, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. This is interesting language. Paul's actually alluding to either a Hebrew tradition in the offerings. They would sometimes pour a drink of wine on an altar as part of the offering, and it would be a drink offering. And the pagans did this consistently. So, you know, the Philippians come from a Greco-Roman culture, pagan culture. So they understood the reference of a drink offering. You pour out a drink offering of wine on an altar as part of a sacrifice. And Paul's using that language to say, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. Watch this. Upon or as the special offering for your faith. In other words, he's saying, my life's being poured out so that your life may be built up. My life's being poured out. I'm, I'm, sacri- I'm willing to die so that you guys may live in faith in Christ. It's not your faith in Paul. It's faith in Jesus, sacrifice and offering of faith. And look what he says, and I'm glad. And I rejoice about it, and I rejoice with all of you. And you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Sometimes we, we hear of people who've given their lives, they're all in with Jesus, and we like, man, think of what they could have done, or, or they die on the mission field, or these martyrs that give their life for Christ. And we get so sad, but I'm telling you, I just read story after story this week of missionaries and ministers and people who have just given their life, business people who have just sacrificed everything. I heard the story of, a, of the son of a billionaire who the, the father died and left his son $100 million, like in the 40s. And he took it all and gave it to missions and gave his life to go into foreign countries. And literally on the trip to the mission field, he died of a disease on the ship. And with gladness, he gave his life. And he gave his entire inheritance for the furtherance of the gospel. A life devoted is a life totally worth it. I just want you to remember where Paul was writing this letter. In a Roman prison, church history tells us he was in this prison, would later be executed for his faith. The apostle Paul is writing the letter to the Christians at Philippi, knowing that his life is coming to an end. And he's using this analogy of of being a poured out drink offering, knowing that I'm very aware that my life is being poured out so that your faith may be built up. And he said, and I rejoice in that. I find joy 
in my life is so devoted to the Lord and that it makes a difference in your lives. Hey, parents, listen to me. Pour your life into your kids in the name of Jesus. But listen, company presidents, pour your life into your employees in the name of Jesus so that their lives can be built up. Don't just build a company to make yourself wealthy. Build people to make their faith increase in Christ. Uh, soldiers, listen, you've, you've pour, you're willing to pour your life out for this nation. Don't forget that to serve a nation and to serve people is a great act of sacrificial love for all people. And rejoice in the fact that we're willing to pour our lives into the gospel so that other people may come to know Christ. He was so willing to keep his devotion to Christ, so willing to serve them. Why? Because he knew that his life was not his own, that he belonged to Jesus and was willing to give his life for Christ, even unto death, so that others could benefit. Remember what he said, Pastor Elmer preached this in Philippians 1. He says, for me to live is to live for Christ and to die is to gain. How do you threaten anybody like that? For me to live is to live for Jesus, to die is to be with Jesus. Watch how he says it. For, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. If I'm gonna continue living, I'm gonna continue serving fruitfully. And then he says this, yet what shall I choose? I can't tell. I'm hard pressed between the two options of living and dying. He said, my desire is to depart all of you and be with Jesus. How many of you can identify with that at times in your life, right? He said, and that's far better, but to remain in the flesh, to keep living is more necessary for you guys. Paul had an attitude like I'm all in. I've, I've devoted my life so that others can live better. Go back to verse 18. Paul said, and with this, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Final thoughts here. Listen, we're going to go to communion. It was Paul's honor to live fully devoted to Jesus and to live fully devoted for others. He was so willing to pour out his life so that others can have more of Jesus. And I'm, I want to, I just want to challenge you. This is our pleasure too. We should rejoice at the privilege that we get to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Going to church is not a, man, are we going to church today? Do we have to go to church? No, I rejoice that I get to be a part of the body of Christ. I, I'm a tither. Man, that pastor's asking for more money. No, we rejoice that we get to bring a tithe and build another church that lost people can come to know faith. Well, I got to serve on a dream team. No, we rejoice that it is a privilege to pour my life out, that Christ may be known, that others may be served, and it is my devotion, my pleasure, and it's because I love God and I revere God so much. It is my pleasure to pour out my life this way. Listen, every one of you are pouring your life out somehow. Are you pouring it out to build your life, to build your kingdom, to build your net worth? Are you pouring, I mean, how many of us are gonna look back on our lives and go, I wish I would have spent it differently? So I wanna challenge this church. Go all in, pour your whole self into living your life on fire for Jesus Christ because you love him, not because you're scared of him, because you love him and you wanna give your life to make a difference in the lives of others. That is a life worth living. That's a life in awe of Jesus. So I challenge you and I'm pleading with you if you're not already, just commit today. God, I'm gonna figure this out. I'm gonna, and, and by your Holy Spirit, I'm gonna live so on fire for God because I love you, because I revere you and because you've been so good to me. Can I hear an amen from the church, everybody? Hey, let's stand around the room and grab your communion elements. I have to wrap us up here and our prayer team will be coming at the end of the service. If you need prayer for anything, please let us pray with you. But Please don't leave just yet. I want to lead us in communion. Let me just say, first of all, communion is a, it's a time at the table for God's people. So if you're not a, if you're not a Christian, uh, let's, let's get that figured out first. Let's get that right now. And if you're not serving the Lord faithfully, if you're kind of drifted or backslidden from the Lord, let's fix that too. Because communion is something for believers. 
You don't have to be a member of this church, but you need to be a part of the body of Christ to take communion. And so let's settle that first and foremost. Can everybody just join me in prayer? If you say, Pastor, I need to give my life to Christ. I need to rededicate my life to Jesus. And let me just tell you something. I've rededicated my life to the Lord thousands of times. So there ain't no shame in that at all. But if that's you and you wanna pray with me, I wanna invite the whole room to pray this prayer with me of commitment and recommitment to the Lord right now. Come on, everybody pray this. Say, God, I believe in Jesus. Say it like this. I love Jesus. I revere what he's done for me. He has been so good to me because of the love of the Father. Christ died for me. Say, I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sin and he died to give me eternal life and new life. Now say, God, I confess my sins. I ask for your forgiveness and I receive your salvation. I commit or I recommit my life completely to you. Not because I'm scared of you, but because I revere you. I'm all in to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Paul was able to live this way because he loved Jesus. He was deeply committed to a life lived for God and he was willing to allow his life to be poured out because Jesus allowed his life to be poured out. I want you to understand Jesus Christ, God the Son, gave his life for us, literally crucified for your sin so that we can live our lives for him. And he was completely poured out. Jesus on a cross without grumbling or complaining was completely poured out. And this is what moves us today to the communion table. Because more than Paul being poured out, more than you and I being poured out, God the Son gave his life so that you and I can have eternal life. John says that God loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in, put their confidence in, their trust in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. And I want you to understand something. As much as we live in reverence for God, Jesus died because of his love and reverence for you. It's because he loves you so much that he gave his life on that cross for you. That whoever said yes to Christ now is reminded of that at the communion table. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, I received from the Lord what I delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. Would you break the bread in your hand? And he gave thanks, he broke it and he said, this is now my body broken for you. This is the only sacrifice that will save you from your sin. And he said, eat this and remember me. Let's eat it together. Thank the Lord for his sacrifice. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, now this cup is the new covenant in my blood. No longer do we sacrifice a lamb or a goat or anything else for our salvation. But the new covenant is in the blood of Jesus Christ, God the Son who died for us. And he said, as often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me and what I've done for you. If you remember Jesus and he's Lord of your life, let's take it together. Paul adds this commentary and he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, watch this, you are proclaiming, confessing, re-upping the Lord's death until he comes again. This is a confession that Jesus is Lord. This is a confession that you believe he died for you. And look at this, it's a confession that you believe he's coming back for you. So if that's your confession, let's lift our hands to the Lord and tell him he is worthy of everything. 
God, we rejoice in you and your word. We are grateful to God today for the transformational power of the gospel. And we are so in awe of a holy, perfect God who would offer this salvation to us and we receive it by faith. We commit today, Lord God, that we will live the rest of our lives in awe of the wonderful, majestic God that you are. We are all in, we are all yours to the glory of God the Father forever in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody, amen. Let's give the Lord praise today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our message. My prayer for you is that you've been inspired and challenged by the message and also moved in your devotion to Jesus. If you'd like to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ, stay connected or even partner with us through generosity, please be sure to visit our website at lifepointchurch.tv. We hope you have a blessed week and we will see you next Sunday.